Well, amen and amen, and good morning again, Transit Church. How are you? Good, good, awesome. Well, hey, uh, open up your Bibles, turn them on, tap or turn to Acts 4. We're going to be in Acts 4, verses 32 uh, through 37 today. And uh, today we're getting a cool snapshot of how the early church, roughly probably scholars think around 10,000 plus uh, right now in this season of, of where they're at in Acts 4, uh, we're going to get a snapshot of how they viewed, how they felt about, and how they used their wealth and their possessions. And so the title of my sermon this morning is Great Grace and Great Generosity. Great Grace and Great Generosity. What we're going to see uh, described in our text today is that great grace was upon this body of believers and the natural outflow from the grace of God shown in Christ Jesus upon a community is radical generosity. That's how uh, a church becomes more generous and uh, uh, more giving with what the Lord has given them is when they look to Jesus and they see how much God has already given to them. And so the three things we're going to be looking at and then we'll, we'll read this text and pray. Three things I'm going to frame my talk out uh, this morning is we're going to see three things. We're going to see how the early church thought about their wealth, how they felt about their wealth, and how they used their wealth. And we're going to be asking the same questions ourselves. So we're going to be talking about your wallets today. Who here is excited about that? Yeah, yeah, amen. I uh, hope you come back next week. The message just gets even better, all right? Acts 5, 1 through 11. Uh, so let me pray for us, and then we'll, uh, we'll dive in, all right? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for the joy that it is to know you, Jesus. For the life, Jesus, you say in your word, you came to give us life, the life we've always wanted, the life we've always been yearning for and searching for, the abundant life that can only be found in knowing you, Jesus. So we come before you grateful, saying thank you for giving everything to purchase us, to call us your own. Thank you for laying down your life for us so that we can have that abundant life for all eternity in you, Jesus. So I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you'd come and you'd have your way with our hearts, God. For all of us here today, Lord Jesus, any way that you want us to see more of the beauty and, and depths of the riches of who you are and your kindness to us, God. I pray that you would soften hardened hearts, Lord Jesus, that you'd open blind eyes, Lord God, and that you would warm our souls with the affection of Jesus, God. So much so that it melts our frozen hands on our wallets, refusing to let you have access to it, God. May it be the beauty of your gospel that loosens our grip on our wealth, Lord Jesus, today. May your name be magnified. May you be glorified. May Jesus increase today, and may I decrease. And I pray this in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. Acts 4, 32-37. Let's read and we'll dive in. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means sons of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Amen. Um, so the picture we get at the outset of this is, is beautiful and stunning. It's a picture of a community where kind of heaven invades the earth. Uh, one of the key phrases that st sticks out to me, stuck out to me in my sermon prep, there was not a need among them. And if we stop and ask ourselves, well, why? Well, the text explains why there wasn't a need amongst the church. And the reason why was because it says the rich. The wealthy in that church, under no compulsion, under no guilt, under no direct command from the apostles, freely laid down and liquidated some of their real estate assets, fields and houses. And not only did that, and didn't reinvest it to avoid capital gains tax, they, they, laid, it, they laid it at the apostles' feet. They laid it at the apostles' feet. And they said, hey, this is why they did that. They said, hey, Peter, hey, John. Hey, James, we, we see that, that 
in this new community where we're reaching out to the orphan and the widow and the homeless in our community, that, that widow down the street, she's still got that leaky roof. And uh, I, I want her to sleep on a dry bed tonight. So I want this money to go there. That mom, that single mom with, with three kids who can't pay rent or can't buy groceries, hey, I'm selling this so that she can have six months of rent paid and groceries covered and she can breathe a breath of fresh air. That homeless person uh, that's been, been invited into our community who has received Jesus, well, well let's build, I'm gonna build, I want someone to build an addition or so can we figure out kind of a housing situation to welcome in? There wasn't a need amongst them. Why? Because, because those who had real estate assets were liquidating them. And we're introduced to one man named Barnabas in our text. Barnabas was, is mentioned 23 times in the book of Acts, okay? 23 times, so much that the apostles give him an awesome nickname, right? The son of encouragement. Is that a great nickname? Me personally, I, w- I would love the nickname a uh, son of thunder, you know, James and John. Uh, the son of encouragement would be great as well. And if we were to put ourselves in uh, Barnabas's shoes and, and ask ourselves, like, well, why did he have a field, right? Did he have a field to, to pray, play, like, croquet and, and soccer on or whatever? No, it was building him wealth for generations. Like, gener- like generationally, the way you build income is through buying and holding real estate. That alarm could have been farmed and fed his family and his kids and his kids' kids' family. He could have sold it to a developer as it appreciated in value, made a fortune 30 years down, you know, this figuratively speaking, but bear with me, right? So if we were to put ourselves in the shoes of Barnabas, I'm sure as he's maybe talking to uh, family members about selling this, they got to be like, Barnabas, you're out of your mind. What about your kids and their kids? What about your financial future? This field is going to build you generational wealth. And I'm sure maybe he's talking to his real estate agent, maybe a buddy of his and his real estate agent is saying, Barnabas, this is, this is financial suicide, right? This, this doesn't make any sense for you to do this in the natural, right? And, and so we're gonna, we're gonna go back to Barnabas, but I think it's important later down in the, in the sermon, I think it's important for us to put ourselves in the shoes that if you're here and you own real estate or maybe you own a rental property and, and it's like the Lord just put on your heart, like, hey, I actually don't need, I don't need you know, that additional property, and you sell it. Here, and listen, church, here's the direct one-to-one application. I'll close my sermon. All of you need to sell all of your houses and lay it at my feet and Joe's feet and, and Saju's feet, the elders' feet, and we'll figure out how to spend it, you know? I will just, just trust us, all right? Um, but that's kind, of, that's kind of what's happening. That's not, okay, that's not the direct application. We're going to talk more about that, okay? So if you're new to the church, don't freak out. That's not, what the, that's not what's happening here. They're freely uh, led by the Holy Spirit, really doing that. But hey, if you want me to get a new Benz or something and give me, anyways, just, I'm just kidding. Anyways, totally joking, totally joking. But, that, that, but that's the enormity of what's taking place here. That's all I'm trying to illustrate. It's like you selling a $400,000 property, there's needs, and, you're, and you lay it at, you know, whatever, the, the, the church as a whole speak, and you say, I want, to, I want, I want this to go uh, to not to my kingdom, not to my future, but to the future of God's kingdom, okay? That's the magnitude of what's happening. And it's easy for us to focus, again, we have to be careful when we go in the book of Acts to kind of venerate and deify the early church and not understand we look at what they did and then the direct correlation is now just go copy what they did with ever stopping and asking, well, why did they do that? Why would Barnabas do this? Why was the early church doing this? We need to stop and look at the why. So, so, so to get into my outline for this sermon, the first thing we're going to look at is how they thought about their wealth and their possessions. That's the first thing we're going to look at is how they, how they thought. What did their heads think about? And so if you're writing down a simple outline is head, heart, hands. We're going to talk about the head. What were they thinking about their possessions? And the first question, if you have a notebook out or you want to put out your iPhone notepad, the first question I think we should ask ourselves is this today is how do I think about and view my money and my possessions? How do I think about and, and view my money and my possessions? Why do I have what I have and what is it for? And in verse 32 of our text today, we get a crystal clear picture of how the church answered that question. Look at verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And watch this. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. I love that line. It's like an oxymoron, right? Like everyone was saying that that which actually belonged to them, which was yours, yours, theirs, was not theirs. Their stuff, they didn't think, was actually their stuff. Begs the question, well then, whose stuff was it, right? What's the Sunday school answer? Who, who did their possessions belong to? Jesus. Jesus, thank you, yes. Yes, good job, right? 
And the gist we get here, too, is, is that it was a full surrender. It belongs to Jesus. And because Jesus has reconciled us back to the Father in one body, if it belongs to Jesus, then also it belongs to the building up of his, his church. It's kind of the impression we get here. It doesn't belong to me. It's, it's Jesus' money, and he can use it however he wants. And if he wants to use it to build up the church so that there's not a need among us, well, then he's going he's gonna to have his way with his money, and I'm just going to be the vehicle to that end. And um, that's what it means, church, when we confess Jesus Christ as Lord, is to confess that he is, yes, our creator. We talked about this a little bit last week. Our redeemer, our king, which means this, is that he has full and total ownership over us, over our wealth, over our possessions, so on and so forth. Jesus Christ owns everything you are and everything you own is now his. This is what Jesus says in Luke 14, 33. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple, right? Like, I, like what Jesus is saying there, like from your Roth IRA to that Ikea furniture in your living room, including the ottoman it's mine i claim right that's what it means to renounce you might be saying oh what is jesus saying here does that mean uh i need to sell all of my wealth so that um you know i'm broken homeless and my wife and kids starve that's not what it means i don't think that's what jesus is saying here jesus is saying to renounce something officially means this look up the definition in google to renounce something means to formally declare one's abandonment of claim or right over something so when you come to know Jesus, you actually lay any claim to your life and to your possessions at his feet. And so you say, it's yours. You want me to build my wealth uh, to, to support mission and to advance your kingdom? Then yeah, I'll build my wealth for you. And if you want me to sell it and sell it all, I'll go. It's yours. You tell me what to do with it. That's what it means to renounce our possessions and follow Jesus. Randy Alcorn says this, uh, the principle is timeless. If Christ is not Lord over our money and possessions, he is not our Lord. Boom, right? He is not our Lord. And, and if we're honest with ourselves, we don't, and man, I'll be the first, I mean, right, we're all in the same boat together, right? Like, I'll be the, like, if we're honest with ourselves, I'll be the first to confess this. We don't often live our lives in light of this gospel reality of the lordship of Jesus Christ, that he created us. God is creator. Christ created us for himself. We were created uh, through him and for him, to know him and love him, and where sin sought to separate us. So as creator, he's lord. He holds every right to our lives, and where sin sought to uh, separate us and remove us from the, the, the fatherly, fatherly embrace of God, Jesus Christ paid the price on the cross for us to bring us back. So Jesus actually purchased us. He ransomed us through his death on the cross and bought us back. So we were doubly owned by Jesus doubly owned by him as as creator and lord and redeemer but if we're honest with, honest with ourselves we don't often live our lives in light of that reality meaning this we confess jesus christ as lord but the way we live and if we look at our bank statements but then we don't confess jesus christ as lord over our wallets right um and because our natural thinking goes something like this this is my hard-earned money and since it's mine, I get to do whatever I want, whenever I want to, with my wealth. And the result of that kind of thinking is twofold. We either, we either spend all of our money on ourselves or we save all of our money on ourselves. Okay? And so greed, listen, greed doesn't just manifest in someone spending money on themselves. Greed can actually manifest in saving. Okay? It can manifest in two ways, okay? So some of us here, there's, there's kind of two camps, okay? And I'm talking about the third. I'm talking about what we're supposed to do. Some of you here today, you're the super spender, all right? Like your checking account is a revolving door, okay? Just money in, money out. And you treat, your motto is treat yourself, right? If, if, if you're a big spender, treat yourself, right? Like uh, my money exists to make me comfortable uh, and, and happy. And your monthly subscription list, okay? of the money that's kicking out of uh, the stream, like you got Hulu, you got Disney Plus, you got Apple Music, you got Netflix, you got uh, freshly roasted coffee and shaving cream and uh, candles and fancy creams coming in every month, like $200. You're like pampered British royalty, you know, like just all these monthly uh, subscriptions coming in, all right? And if that's you, the, Bible, the scriptures would encourage us, hey, that's not a good use of your money. Like if we're in debt, some of you here might need to take a Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University class and figure out how to, how to better steward your money because it's God's money, it's not yours. And so we don't want to be reckless and just spend it on ourselves. 
Now, here's the deal. I don't think a lot of us wrestle with that. That's not my, that's not my struggle. My struggle, the way my greed manifests, I'll just confess with you, is super saving. Is super saving. Where we can be just as greedy and selfish through our investments. Watch this. By all the money I earn, going to, you know, all my various investments to make sure that my family is safe and secure in our future, and not give a dime to anyone else. I'll tithe, that's it. I'll support some missionaries and not give and not be generous at all, but be extremely stingy because all the money I get, I spend on myself, it just goes into my savings or my investments, right? I think that's the pushback I want to give is that, yes, we're called to, uh, sure, like that financial peace university thing, but I want to push back a little bit. I love that. That's so necessary. But, but the insidious nature of us being good biblical stewards is that we can actually be very greedy. Money can have a stronghold over us, and we hide behind this veil of good biblical stewardship, Right? The story of my life. That's how I know. He's like, how do you know that? Are you reading my mail? Yeah, that's the story of my life. I'm a good financial steward. I'm not in debt. I'm actually, you know, like investing in my future, but I'm not giving a dime away. So yes, the scriptures encourage us to steward our resources. And yes, Jesus calls us to be just as radically generous with our resources as he's been radically generous to us. Right? And so instead of those, and, and, and let me just say this. So every time I talk about money, I got to talk about my mentor friend who, uh, who the Lord has anointed to make a ton of money, all right? And this guy loves Jesus. His wife loves Jesus. He's a, he's a mentor friend. He's like 20 years my senior. He was going to retire early. This is how much money this guy makes. And the Lord put it on his heart it's essentially this. You work for 10 more years. You do not retire early. You make as much money as you can because the needs are so great for the gospel to go forth. So you're going to build, because you have, you have an, an anointing upon you to increase wealth that, I, uh, I don't have that gift, all right? Um, <laughs> let's just put it that way. i got a different calling. Uh, and, so, and so I'm driving his car right now. He gave me a car when our car was breaking down, you know, broke and busted 280 million miles on it, you know, uh, smoke coming out all the windows. And he gave us a car. I'm driving it today. It's out there in the parking lot about eight, eight years ago. And... Um, he helped pay for seminary, and, and, and his refrain over me was this, uh, and, and the words, I was able to tell him this. We, we did a FaceTime call with him uh, earlier, and, and he's, he's blessed our family in so many ways, him and his wife and his family, and he said this. He says, you're the best investment I've ever made, and um, just a mentor coming alongside me and investing in me, investing a kingdom investment, seeing his resources, that he's a man who's really good at investing, and he's looking at people that the Lord is calling him to help financially, who don't have, you know what I'm saying? So that, so yes, if that's your calling, the Lord very well might call you to increase, to steward that, yes, but for the sake of what end, right? And at the end of the day, we shouldn't be super spenders on ourselves or super savers for ourselves. We should be super stewards of God's money and what he calls us to do. The definition of a steward, a steward is someone an owner in trust with the management of his assets, a steward is someone, an owner, in trust with the management of his assets. So anything you own or possess is God's, that he's entrusted with you to manage for his purposes, for his, his kingdom and his glory. And the picture I kind of got was this. I was asking God to give me a picture, and I kind of got this image of like, uh, like the Lord, our lives and our possessions is kind of like a boat, but the gospel calls us that our lives are to be kind of a rescue boat, right? Where, where we carry the gospel, the good news of salvation and, and healing and redemption to the ends of the earth. And the Father, the owner of this boat, will entrust it to us and give us the money we need, the gas we need, the supplies we need. And he says, hey, here's your destination, okay? The eternal shores of glory. And on the way, I want you to kind of chart this course uh, along the way. But everything I give you is for, the, for you, one, making it with, with as many people as possible to that destination, so the boat, the possessions you have, it's not a cruise ship where you're going to dock at the Keys for the next 30 years, right? It's a warship. It's a, it's a rescue thing. So everything that I've entrusted to you is to be onto the glory of my name and the gospel going to the ends of the earth. That's why we have what we have. And everyone's calling and situation will look different. Uh, we see in the parable of the talents, one was given five, one was given, I think, two, and, and one was given one. And, but the, the, the same requirement, the same manager, the same one who entrusted them came back and said, what did you do with what I gave you? Right? What did you do? And so if you want to, this will be on the screen. I encourage you to write this down if you're taking notes today. 
And maybe this is a prayer today for you to pray where uh, maybe you've never actually kind of renounced your possessions and handed it fully and totally to Jesus and kind of rethunk, you know, uh, your personal property or your investments or your retirement, your savings. Write this down. My wealth and possessions belong fully and totally to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I am to steward those resources for his purposes, his kingdom, and his glory. And so as he's entrusted that boat with all the resources, he, will, he, he has given us a calling. He will provide everything we need to, to accomplish the mission he's given us. And listen, when that, that boat and, the, and all the supplies he's given us for the boat of our life and the common de- the destination and the mission he's given, given us, he's going, he's going to supply that for his ends and his purposes, right? So we're at the helm of the ship, but we're going the direction he wants us to go, right? Does that help you understand how we're to view our finances, right? That missional perspective that I don't get to steer it and dock this boat wherever I get to go. I don't buy a truckload of tequila and, and, and frozen ice and to make daiquiris and, and dock at the Caribbean for, uh, for 30 years when I retire. No, the Lord has entrusted to me. Weapons, money, possessions, everything is weaponized for the kingdom of God in the best sense of term. How can I share with others what I've been given? So the second question I want to ask is this. This is where it's going to get a little bit more tricky. And you're going to squirm a little bit more. <laughs> it's, not, it's not just our thinking, not just our thoughts. It's God's, it's not mine. Okay, that, woo, let's do some reframing, some renewing of our mind. Not just our thoughts, it's our hearts that need to be changed as well. Our affections towards our money, our affections towards our money. So the question, second question I want you to, <laughs> to write down is this. What is my greatest desire and passion with my money and my possessions? In my natural self, I answer it this way. What I want to do with my wealth, I want to cause it, I want the compound interest is a beautiful thing, my friends, right? I want over the decades to be set up so that me and my family and my kids, we are, there's not a need in our family and use my wealth to make sure that we are secure, right? And at face value, yo, like if you're parents, you're called to provide, right? Trusting that God is your provider, but the, the Bible says it has some strong things to say about laziness. So part of that is actually biblical, right? There's some strong things the scriptures say about us, of, of us providing for our families and working hard, no matter what profession God has given us. But listen, with the answer I gave you, the answer I gave you for, for me, Who's remarkably absent from that answer? Uh, Jesus Christ? <laughs> His kingdom? Right? What's my greatest passion? When Nick Mudd is, you know, in his darker moments, in the, I just, Lord, oh, my wealth would increase so that we can be safe and secure because clearly you only want me to be safe and secure. Right? You've called me to comfort, not to the cross. So just make me safe and secure with my wealth. Right? Jesus and his mission and his kingdom is remarkably absent from that answer. That scares me, and if we're honest with ourselves and we ask ourselves, what is my greatest passion, my greatest, my greatest heartbeat, desire for the resources God has given me, is it, is it King Jesus? Is it the advancement of his kingdom? Is it me loosing the dollars he's given me as soldiers in his army to go push back darkness and to advance his kingdom of love and of grace and of healing? And see, Jesus talked more about uh, money than he did heaven and hell in the Gospels. He talked more about money than he did than, than heaven and hell. Why did he do that? Because our heart posture towards our money can keep us from fully bending our knee and surrender to Jesus, which is the single most dangerous thing you can do as a human. It's not bending your knee to the lordship of Jesus Christ and confessing him as your creator and your lord and your savior and your need for him. So, so um, <clears throat> Matthew 6, 24 says this. This is what Jesus says. <clears throat> no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one or love the other. And he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Watch this. You cannot serve God and money. It is impossible to serve God and money at the same time. So the two options Jesus gives his followers is this. Is either you and I can follow Jesus with our money... Or we can be slaves to our money without Jesus. He says, you follow me with your possessions, used for my purposes, or, or you're a slave to your money. You follow your money, but you do not get me. You do not get me. And the simple truth is this. 
is uh, we are bound to. This is, this is Christ's heart for, you, heart for you. Jesus Christ wants to set us free. He wants to set us free. We are bound. We are bound by whatever we cling to that is not Christ. We are bound by whatever we cling to that is not Jesus, okay? So I got three kids. Every sermon I mention them because they got great sermon illustrations. So uh, a couple months ago, my second oldest, Stephanie, she's roughly three, uh, and uh, she had this new toy. It was like a teddy bear or something, right? And we pull into the house. She's in the car seat. Everyone else is, you know, in the house, and I'm doing my best, man, to just get her out of this car seat, Okay. Like, I don't know if you ever tried to take a three-year-old who's clutching a teddy bear out of a car seat before. It's like an MMA match, all right? You're doing, like, you're doing like underhooks and, like, you know, just, like, and she's clutching this thing. She's got a de- death grip on this teddy bear. And I'm doing everything I can as she's holding on to the teddy bear to get her out of what she's, she's kind of, like, stuck in the seat. And I'm doing everything. Finally, I step back and I go, okay, peace of Christ be with me. And I go, hey, Stephanie, I love you. I can't get you out of that car seat until you let go, until you let go of that which you're clinging to. The choice for you being set free and following me. You see where I'm going, it's pretty, you see where I'm going with this illustration? <laughs> True story, I immediately wrote it down on my sermon illustrations app. I was like, oh, that's a good, this is a keeper. Um, the choice was hers. I was like, you can stay stuck if you want. That's not my heart for you, Steph. There's so much, I want you to, I want you to let go of that so you can actually come and follow your daddy. We got squeeze pouches in the house. Right? You can be here all night and starve, cling, like Gollum clinging to the ring, and you're still strapped in. But the only way for you to be set free is to let go. Give me the teddy bear. I'll get you out of there, and I'll lead you to something that's far greater. I'll lead you to something far greater. And the word, as I was praying over this sermon, I felt like the, the refrain... Um, that Jesus wanted me to communicate to you all is, is what if he's not after your wallets? What if he's after your heart? Yeah. You, right? Like, I think sometimes when we talk about money, we feel like God's that bully in grade school who grabbed you by the ankles and, like, shuck all the change out of you, you know, for you to get some milk money. And God's like, give me all your money, you know? Yeah, and that one too shakes you a little harder. And then the pastor comes up here and is holding you by, you know, like, and just shaking you and, you know, does an altar call, lay all your wallets down here. Anyways, not that I'm going to do that. Um, text to give these days, so I don't need to do that. Um, just kidding. Uh, we, view, we, view, we view God like that, right? What if Jesus just wants your heart? What if he's after your heart? The rich young ruler comes to Jesus, a man of wealth, and he goes, how can I get eternal life? My wealth isn't buying. I want eternal life. And Jesus says, well, you got to be perfect. Have you obeyed all the commands? And clearly, no one can be perfect except Christ. He's our perfection. He's our righteousness, right? And the guy goes, I've obeyed all the commands since childhood. And then Jesus puts his finger on that which would keep this man from following Jesus. And Jesus says, sell everything you got. Give it to the poor. It's not just giving it away so that you can be justified. You're just saying, and come have a relationship with me. You can't have a relationship with me until you specifically lay that down. And the rich young ruler turned away and walked away from Jesus. And Jesus said these words. He says, it is, it is uh, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, right? To showing us, showing us the danger of the love of money, not the danger of money, 1 Timothy 6, 10, the, the, the deceitfulness of riches that have caused many to go astray. Money can be used for great good, but you have to continually check your heart in regards to your money, because this is what Jesus wants. He just wants to fully have us, have our hearts. He's jealous for our affections and our, and our love, and if we're bowing down and worship to money, that's actually idolatry. That's a false god, and we're not trusting Jesus with our future. We're not trusting Jesus with our finances. We're trusting money. We're trusting our resources and not Christ, and so the only way you and I will become more generous with our money is when the eyes of our hearts are enlightened to see Jesus Christ as more precious and valuable to us than any earthly good or, or pleasure. And so when we look at our wealth and we look at Jesus, right, kind of like Stephanie in the car seat, I can look at my teddy bear, or I can look at the love that my father has for me, I'll gladly lay that down so that I can get my father and a relationship with him. And listen, this is the gospel. This is, this is what Jesus Christ did. On that Thursday night before he was arrested, he stood at the cliff of the cross, the point of no turning back. Jesus said in the Gospels, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. So Jesus is standing, the, 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 the king of kings, 
who descended, who uh, left his royal privileges and, 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 and put on human flesh to become poor so that we might become rich. He stood, he stood and he looked at you and he looked at me and our sins and our wickedness. And he looked at the agony of the cross. And he surveyed it and he looked at you and he goes, and he goes, you were worth it. And he jumped off the cliff and he gave everything. He laid it down for you. He laid everything down. He gave his life. He absorbed the wrath of God for your sins upon the cross. Why? So that you through his death might have life. You through his poverty might have riches. And the only thing Jesus asked is say, hey, look at me and look at your wealth. And will you lay it all down so you get me? Because I laid everything down to get you. He laid everything down to get you. That's what he was doing. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus looked at you. He looked at the cross. He looked at his own divine privileges, and he laid it all down to get you. And Jesus is saying, listen, look at your wealth and look at me and see that I'm so worth it. Can you see my love and my heart for you? I love you. I will provide for you. Do you not see my love and my nail-scarred hands and how I have already provided for you? This is what 2 Corinthians 8 9 says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And so what we see here is scripture clearly articulates that if you're here today in Christ Jesus, you and I are not poor, but we are the wealthiest people on the planet earth. Hallelujah. Amen. Right? I, I got a hunch that we have a really good inheritance in Christ Jesus, church. I got a hunch that our retirement is already fully funded by the blood of the lamb. I got a hunch that we're going to be in the presence of God glorify without tears or sin or death forever all because of the grace of God at Christ's expense for us right amen we're going to be all right every day we are showered with the riches of God's mercy Ephesians 2 4 through 7 describes God as being rich not in in, in condemnation or just rich in mercy God is a billionaire in the currency of mercy you cannot out sin his grace as a believer his mercies are new every morning. If we possess Jesus, we possess everything. And so then the formula of our lives, the motto of our lives is Christ died so that I might live. So now I die so that others might live. Jesus laid down his wealth so that I might live and become wealthy in him. So now let me lay aside my riches so that others might live. And this is what we see returning to our text in the early church is this beautiful gospel of the death and resurrection of Jesus was preached. Great grace was upon them all. The Holy Spirit came upon them, opened up their eyes to see the beauty and worth of ma and majesty of Jesus, that he surpasses any earthly good or pleasure. And the natural outflow of that was radical generosity. Acts uh, 4.33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Gospel preached, great grace upon them all, and then we read the, the text earlier, and radical generosity flowed from them. They had a God that they knew was radically generous to them. Romans 8. Romans 8 says this. Where am I at my notes? Uh, I took it out of my notes. Romans 8 says this. I believe it's 32. Uh, he who gave us his own son, the most precious gift, the highest price that could be paid for you and I, will he not also give us all things? So we serve and worship a God who's been radically generous to us. I have everything. All my needs are met both here and now and forever. And if God, I see God's posture for me, he's given me everything in Christ Jesus, how much more will he not provide for the trinkets I need? The, the groceries I need, the rent I need, right? Like he's our provider. And I think one of the reasons we're so stingy with our wealth is we don't see the heart of God that he will provide for us. He will sustain us. He will protect us. That's the heart of God for us. And, and this is what we see the early church respond to, this beautiful gospel, this good news. Their response was not, okay, preacher, okay, apostles, how much do I have to give to be justified? It was, no, I am justified. I am wealthy. I am loved. What can I lay down? How can I share this? How can I be blessed to be a blessing? How can I share the wealth of the riches of Jesus to those that need it, right? How can I recruit my hands? How can I recruit my hands to give glory to Jesus for what he's done in my mind and my heart and my soul, right? How can I visibly use my wealth and resources to illustrate the riches and the glory of Jesus? So Barnabas was a son of encouragement. 
He was a generous man, radically generous. Why? Because he wasn't just a son of, of encouragement. He was a son of a, of a king. He was, he was a child of God. He knew who his father was, who his savior was, that the spirit of God was inside of him. He knew who his savior was and how generous his God was towards him. That's why he was a son of encouragement. That's why he was generous, because he knew who his God was. So returning to our question, what is our greatest desire, our heartbeat with our money? Well, it should be to make Jesus seen and known and cherished as the one of supreme worth and value, to show the world around us that we treasure Jesus more than we treasure our treasures, that he's worth laying it down no matter the cost, no matter what he calls us to, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. That's our heart cry. And so the framework is, is this, is that yes, God loves to give good gifts to you. You shouldn't feel guilty for the, the lavish nature of God. If you have kids, you love to give good gifts to them. But the way God works with his people is he blesses his people, but he blesses them to be a blessing to the nations. He blesses them to be a blessing to the nations. So as we have opened up our hands and free, been freely given all the, the spiritual blessings, every, every heavenly bl spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 1 says, and every earthly blessing that God has given us, we open up our hands and our motto is this, with our, all of our stuff, surely God did not intend this just for me. Surely God did not just intend this for me. This house, this car, uh, uh, my, my assets, surely God, you want me to share this? You want me to invite people in or to go out and bless people in need with this? Which leads us to our third question. So we've talked about how we think about our money. We've talked about how we ought to feel our affections, our passions, our desires for our money. Jesus is after our hearts, not our wallets, but our wallets are often keep us from giving our heart fully to Jesus. And then, we're gonna, and then lastly, we're going to talk about how. How do we give? Well, this is what we saw the church do. Let me ask this third question to you guys, and then we'll slowly wrap up here. Feel free to write this third question down. Now, in light of the gospel, the grace of God, God's riches at Christ's expense towards me for all of eternity, in light of the gospel, how can I now best use what God has given me for his glory and the good of others? How can I now best use what God has given me for his glory and the good of others? In what tangible ways can I decrease my spending and saving on myself in order to glorify Jesus and how I increase my giving to others in need. And I think one of the easiest applications here, church, is this, is um, for those of us that uh, have those monthly subscriptions or have kind of a fine taste in our hobbies to buy the cream of the crop of whatever it is, right? What if we all chose to dial back our spending, right? Or dial back our investing a little bit. Say, say we canceled three monthly, if you have like 35 monthly subscriptions, maybe just cancel two or three or four, right? So you, you free up about 50 bucks cash a month. And what if with your kids, you have a jar in, somewhere in your house, and on it you put a kingdom investment, kingdom investment. And every money now that since you've dialed back, you're living within your means because Christ sacrificed to make you rich, you're going to sacrifice a little, it's going to cost you a little bit. And you're going to save up money. Your whole family might do this. Hey, where can we all cut back a little bit and bring your cash to the kingdom investment bucket? We're going to pray over it. And we're just going to ask God, who do you want us to bless the socks off of? And we're going to keep, we're going to keep, we're going to keep stone, you know, storing it away until God shows us. And maybe you'll go to Springfield Mall with 500 bucks. And the Lord will highlight some family in need. And you'll go give that money and change your life. And, you know, like, like who knows, right? Or somebody in the church you know, is in need, car broken down or whatever, but what, what, it's so easy. It's so easy if we would just push against church for the glory of Christ. Oh, let it be said of us, church family, let it be said of us, for the glory of Jesus, we push back against consumerism and always buying the latest and greatest, so much so that people would ask us, why are you still rolling around in, in whatever? Why are you still doing this? Well, I just feel what Jesus has done for me. He, he left his throne. He was poor, so I'm commercial. I, I try to live with my, in my means, not to invest, not to invest in earthly, but to invest in the heavenly, to invest in the kingdom, right? And an example of this was awesome. A couple months ago, there's a couple uh, here that got the stimulus check. 
and they kind of were like, hey, this is a surplus. We don't, we feel almost guilty. Like we have all of our needs met. We know it's been a rough year for a lot of people. So they came to the elders and they asked, like, kind of like exactly like what's going on here. And they kind of laid it at our feet and said, hey, are there needs in the community that we can meet? And I said, there aren't actually any needs that I know, but what you can do is give to the benevolence fund because there's needs in our community. People will come in, we're able to help support them, so on and so forth, but there's no needs right now. Well, they give to the benevolence fund, the whole stimulus check. And then like within less than a week, no joke, there's somebody else who's loosely connected to the church that comes in and, and there was this job transition, rent that couldn't get paid. They were in a, they were in a pinch, really big pinch. And, and, and the money there, and listen, the amount of money they requested for us to support was, was like, was shockingly close to the same amount of that stimulus check. So they were able to pay that rent while the job, like the, the job thing worked out for the glory of Jesus. It was the body of Christ coming together saying this is excess. They could have used that. Sure, let's fund that. Let's, man, let's max out that retirement. Let's open up another, you know, they could have used it for whatever, but instead they gave it away. Why? So people are still living where they're living today for the glory of Jesus. And those people get to experience the provision of God that comes horizontally through his surrendered church. The body being built up through us saying, I don't, need, I don't need all that. I got what I need. My God has provided for me. Where can we, where in your life, it's going to look different for everyone, where in your life can we dial it back and give and lay it down and wep church, weaponize our money for the investment of the kingdom. Okay, and I'll conclude with this story. Um, uh, I was at Friday, Friday this afternoon, a couple days ago, Friday, I was afternoon in my office. I was not feel. I was, I was literally in my <laughs> My Ikea chair, that's why you always talk about Ikea. I got a sweet reading chair over there in my office. Uh, and I'm reading, and it's, it's one of those, like, you know, like, kind of just, like, moaning, groan type of journaling. I'm praying, I'm journaling, and I'm just talking to God. I'm saying, Lord, I don't feel this text. I don't feel this sermon. I feel like I'm just writing stuff down to write stuff down. Would you help me? Would you help me with this sermon? Would you help me feel it? Spurgeon, if you read Spurgeon's uh, lectures to his students about preaching, he says, he's like, the preacher must feel the text, you know, before he goes in the pulpit. And uh, so on and so forth. I'm like, Lord, I got, I got nothing. I get a text. I get a text as I'm praying. No joke, no exaggeration. It's from a number I don't know. It's a lady introducing herself, okay? Rem remember that. I'm going to go back to two years ago. Two years ago, April 2019, I can show you all this is in my day one journal app. Two years ago, I'm in my office, the old office uh, at the church. Some of you remember it. And uh, I'm there early. Jeff's not there yet. And I'm praying. And I'm praying over, uh, at that point in my life two years ago, uh, uh, I was just, I was, at that point, I was just praying over all of the investments that Jen and I were trying to make and financial future and all this stuff. And I felt the Lord tugging on my heart. And I felt him say, the internal voice of God say, invest in my kingdom. Invest in my kingdom. Like, clear as day. I was like, I was like, whoa. And, and then, but then, listen, I had this, like, I, would, I had this, this is where my heart was at. I said, well, well, who, where, well if, I, if you want me to, like, you know, like, lay down all my money and, and give it to the poor, who's going to provide for my family? And clear a day, I heard a response. I'll provide for your family. I'll provide for your family. And so then I'm, I'm kind of arguing with the Lord. And, and listen, this, I, I, the Lord doesn't speak to me this clear this often. I thought, I was, like, I was clearly hearing him speak. And then I go, and I'm like, all right, Lord, well, if you want me to invest in your kingdom, then show me where. Like, prove it. If this is you, prove it. And he goes, he goes, dangerous prayer. <laughs> Dangerous prayer to pray. And he goes, go to the mailbox and I'll show you. And so I'm like, all right, let's see what happens. Uh, I get the keys to the mailbox. The mailbox is in the parking lot. And I'm expecting to find something in the mail, like a, a letter from a missionary or a parachurch, you know, organization that I'll give like 15 bucks a month. You know, like, like something like, like so little, you know. And the second I walk out the door, I see a FedEx truck driving up and I make eye contact with the driver. And immediately I know the Lord says, that's who you need to talk to. That's who I'm calling you to talk to. And so I go to the mailbox, and I'm like, okay, maybe that was the Lord, maybe it was not. I go to the mailbox. There's like an office supply magazine. There's nothing about the kingdom of God there. And, uh, and, I'm, like, and I'm like, all right, Lord, you told me to go talk to that guy. So I puff out my chest, man, chin up, and I just go. I say, you, FedEx driver. I lay my hand on him. He gets laid out in the I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. Um, I went back to my office. <laughs> So I go back to my office, and I'm pacing back and forth, and I'm like, Lord, this is so weird, man. Like, I don't know if this is your voice or if I'm crazy or if the coffee's speaking to me this morning. And this is so weird, man. What am I going to say to this guy? And, uh, and but the, the, I felt the voice of the Lord stop speaking. And that got me kind of nervous because I, I love the voice of God. And we see the Holy Spirit do this all throughout Acts, the, the impressions, his guiding the church. And so I go back out, and uh, thankfully the truck was still there, and I wait. And the dude was dropping on package. I had to wait for a, a long time, and he comes back. 
And I honestly don't remember much about the conversation. How I sh I'm sure it was super awkward and I was fumbling over my words. Anyways, what comes out, I go, hey, I felt like the Lord, you know, whatever told me to, to talk to you. Are, are, you, are you and your family all right financially right now? And he says, well, within, within like literally within a couple of days, his mom, he was living with his mom and him and his girlfriend and their family were living with their mom and they were pulling together the resources to pay rent. And he said, my mom just got laid off. She has, she has really bad health issues and her employer just like, out of nowhere just fired her. It was shocking to us. And, uh, and, and what was cool was to see this man's faith. And he goes, but listen, man, my mom, my mom loves the Lord. And, 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 he, and she goes, she's been praying every night. And she knows that God will provide. She knows that God will provide for their needs. You know, and, and I was like, oh, wow, okay, cool. Hey, let me get your, let me get your, uh, uh, you know, your contact info. And, and my wife and I will we'll pray about how much God wants. And I, and I kind of I hedged my bets. I was like, hey, man, listen, I don't have that much money. I'm a pastor. Like, so don't get, like, don't get your hopes up, you know, kind of thing. And anyways, I walk away. I walk away, and uh, I'm praying about, Lord, how much money do you want us to give? He didn't give me amount. He said, give him your tax return. Give him your tax return, which at the time, was a, that, was a lot of, that was a big tax return. It was one of the biggest that Jen and I were ever going to get. And, and I'm, wrestling, I'm wrestling with the Lord, and I go, Lord, like, you want me to, what are you talking about? That's crazy. I was thinking like 100 bucks or something. You know, you want to give me what? And, and, then, and then I felt this, church, this is what we need to, we need to have faith. We need to have trust. And the Lord says this. The Lord goes, do you not think, this is the impression I got, do you not think that I can snap my fingers and give that money back in a second? Do you know? I own the galaxies. I don't need your pennies. Right? Do you know what I'm capable of doing? And, and that's why, that's for me why I've been, I've clung so tight to my possessions because I don't trust God to provide for me. I trust me to provide for me. So it's an issue of trust. I'm not sharing this to bring me any glory at all, okay? I'm, I'm pointing it to Jesus because you see that I, in, the, in that moment, I wasn't giving a dime away. The Holy Spirit came upon me and convicted me and said, invest in my kingdom, I'll show you where. And even in spite of that, I was, I was going uh, like a brat arguing the whole way, okay? <laughs> he used me in spite of me, okay? So a couple weeks later, and I actually even tarried. I even tarried. I'll, I'll give more glory to Jesus. I tarried until the Lord. I was having such opposition connecting with him. My time to go, Lord, what's going on? He goes, I told you to give money. What are you doing? I was like, oh, my gosh. And so, and so I, had to, I had to go to the bank. I'm like, Jen, we got we to do this. Uh, cashed out all this stuff. We met in a parking lot in Franconia. Met uh, the guy, his girlfriend, his kid, and then his mom. And I said this. I said, this was the exact dollar amount that God wanted me to give you. And listen, it wasn't, it wasn't like if you give someone a gift card, like a 25 or a 50 or a 100, you know, it wasn't round, it was a wonky, it was a wonky amount. It was like, it was like to the dollar amount. You tracking with me? And, and I give it to them and uh, I pray over them and they're super grateful. And then his mom prays over me, man, like this Pentecostal fire prayer. And it was, <laughs> man, it was awesome. I mean, they're so blessed. And then like, there was no communication after that. Like I, rec I think he reached out to me just like a, you know, a thank you. I told him about the church and everything. I think they're, they were in the Woodbridge area. And, uh, and I, hadn't, I hadn't heard from them after, uh, after that week. I hadn't heard from them in two years. Had not heard from them in two years. Just taking the faith that had blessed them. Going back to my office Friday. I get a text in the moment of prayer, praying for God to show me, to help me feel this sermon. I got a text from this lady named Natalie. I didn't even know her name. It's a guy's girlfriend from two years ago. She says, I don't know if you remember this, but you're that guy who God spoke to. Watch this. I didn't know this until, until Friday. I didn't know this. Spoke to, she named her boyfriend, spoke to him to give him the exact dollar amount of two months rent and and i go and i go i, I go wait, wait 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 hey so you know we kind of caught up and i go so help me out so you're saying the money i gave you was to the dollar amount two months rent and she goes to the dollar amount of two months rent boom that's crazy for me, that's crazy, right? She comes back, and I'm taking it in faith that this is the exact dollar amount to the dollar amount. If you knew what I give, that's crazy, to the dollar amount. And listen, now she's reaching out, not for financial help, but for spiritual help, for spiritual help. She's asking for help because I, I don't know, you know, like, and we're talking on Wednesday. I'm going to call her up and pray with her and counsel her. I'm not going to share what she's going through. But how cool is that, church? How cool is that? How cool is God working, right? No glory to me at all. Glory to how God moves, where he can line up in his mystical sovereignty, our tax refund to a praying lady, and it's the exact dollar amount for two months' rent so she can get her feet back and, and, and get her rent back, right, and get, her, and get their financial feet back. That's just incredible. And the invitation, this is the invitation. Jesus is not holding you upside down today, shaking all the money out of you. He's, he's inviting you to invest your money in eternity, right? He's inviting you to invest in his kingdom to something far greater. And don't take my word for it. Read Matthew 6, 19 through 21. I'll conclude with this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth 
where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But watch this, lay up yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, watch this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And yeah, Ben, if you want to come up here. Um, So the simple truth, and I'll conclude with this, and I'll give you a moment to talk to Jesus. No one here today, as a follower of Jesus, will be on the other side and regret, and regret, and regret not spending, uh, and none of us on the other side will wish, wish we spent more money on ourselves. Are you tracking with me? When we get to glory, no one's going to look back on our lives and say, oh, I just wish I would have spent more money on myself. I missed out on that Hulu series. Oh, man. Right? None of us. None of us. Every sacrifice, every amount that the Lord calls us to give is going to be worth it. Jesus invites us to a far greater use of our money. Okay? And so let's lay, just as Barnabas laid it at the apostles' feet, let's lay our resources at the feet of Jesus and say, come have your way. What is that that we're clinging to today? And let's lay it down at his feet. It's much better. It's going to be used much better in his hands than in ours. Amen? So I'm going to go silent. I want to give you guys a moment to uh, respond. I'll pray, and then we'll take communion and sing one last song together. So, yeah, join me in praying, giving your heart to Jesus, whatever he's calling to you to uh, repent of. Uh, repentance is a gift. It's a gift of God, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Anywhere, any way that money or resources has a hold on us, Jesus wants to set you free from that today. We're bound by what we cling to you. So ask Jesus today what he wants you to give to him. who our God is. Micah 7. Who is a God like you? Who is a God like you, Jesus? Pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Thank you, God, that you are rich in mercy. We come before you saying, who is a God like you? Who has loved us like you? Who has done for us what you have done for us? Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. We come before you uh, laying down our possessions at your feet and saying, have your way. And we confess with our lips that you are better. There's nothing that comes close to knowing you, Jesus. You are better than our wealth. You are better than security. You are better than comfort. You are better than the American dream, Jesus. Thank you for calling us to your heart to come and follow you, to have life everlasting with you. Thank you for the cost, the price you pay to make that a reality for us, that we get you, Jesus. And when we get you, we get everything, the one of surpassing worth. Would you be glorified today, Lord Jesus, with our wealth and our possessions? In Jesus' name, amen.